Sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug, right? Maybe your guy won, maybe your guy lost. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dalski, and co-hosting with me is the very talented, very witty LA lawyer, Rudy Salo. And our topic today is something that has been in the news a lot lately, and that is voter fraud. Our guest is law enforcement analyst, former FBI agent, Jeff Cortezzi. He's joining the pod again to give us his take on this very important issue and why, no matter your political leanings, this is something worthy of our attention. That is, that the integrity of our elections is at stake, and it's something that we should understand more. So Jeff is going to give us his understanding, his point of view, on this issue of voter fraud. Before we get started, I just want to thank everyone who has rated and reviewed the pod. If you can, and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down to the bottom and hit that five-star review. And if you'd like to get in touch, we're on Instagram, good is in the details pod, or you could email good is in the details pod at gmail.com. Okay, now let's talk voter fraud. It's going to be a very interesting show for listeners, but let me make a very strong suggestion to any such you know, thousands of listeners that we have now. Like, and I can legitimately say that without a, you know, a smirk on my face, we do have well over into the thousands now that they check their feeling, not feelings, but they, they, they check their biases at the door. It should be no secret to anybody that listens to this show that Gwen and I are both happy that the current administration it will no longer be the administration in January without getting into any details, without getting into anything. Just, I think it's very obvious to listeners. That said, we're still in an environment right now where the incumbent is still claiming uh, not, notwithstanding court cases that have that have come down, notwithstanding the tide that's moving against them, claiming that there was a large amount of voter fraud in this election. Not only in this election, but he's even referred to voter fraud in the 2016 election, which prompted me to have conversations with Jeff, our wonderful former FBI uh, agent friend who comes on to the show, and to prompt him and ask him some questions about his thoughts on voter fraud. In the conversations that I've had with him in preparation for this, I've needed to kind of, you know, check my feelings or, or happiness at the door with the result of this election and just listen, like being as objective as possible, trying not to have any emotion trying to truly learn the ins and outs of what voter fraud is. And so I'm, I hereby ask our listeners to do the same. Come into this with an open mind and a learning attitude, and I think you will get the most out of this episode. Yeah, I almost feel like us being more on the left-leaning side, having an honest discussion about voter fraud, it's kind of like if we were to go onto a, a right-leaning show and try to have an honest conversation about climate change and climate science, you know, like that would be like, okay, just hear me out. Here are the numbers. Here are the facts. <laughs> but um, because when it comes to, you know, when it comes to definitions, when it comes to facts that we have a vested interest, but what we want to get at is the truth. What are the definitions? So my first question is, can dead people vote? Not if they're dead. Wait, legally? Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me let me add that. Legally, legally, or 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 have they voted? I'm sorry. Okay, Jeff, can dead people legally vote? The answer is no. Please legal go on oh. and answer the question. What if somebody votes and then they die before the vote is counted? 
Like what yep. if I drop off my ballot and then I have a, a desk here so I can knock on wood. I get hit by a bus after that. Does my vote still count? So if I could, sure. I, I'd like us to take a step back. <laughs> okay. I, I get, I understand, I understand the need or the desire to dive into these specific questions. And I'm going to be very upfront about my perspective. And my perspective is coming from the law enforcement world, not in a voter compliance world. Okay, so there's a, a bit of a distinct difference, right? First, let me just say that I'm super glad we're having the conversation. As you pointed out early, there's a lot of uh, mis information out there. There are a lot of personal biases out there, which, you know, putting it all together and looking at the tweets and the single one-off articles here and there, it's almost impossible for the layperson to get a, a sense of what is real and what isn't real. So I'm, I'm, to start with, I'm just glad we're having the conversation with that as a basic understanding. And then I think some of what we can do is maybe talk about what, in a general sense, the voting process looks like, who has what responsibilities, again, in a, a high-level general sense, and then we can start getting more narrow in our view. So starting in a broad sense and kind of working our way down. Is that a path that, that works, works for yeah. you all? I think that's the only path that we can go on, Jeff. Please guide us in this, in this very <laughs> well, I, fruitful discussion, because you're right. I'm glad we're having this discussion. I mean, really, I, I truly think that, you know, notwithstanding the, the happiness that we feel, and probably a lot of our listeners feel, let's have the conversation about voter fraud. And maybe, just maybe, maybe we can, in the next time around, maybe we can reduce it by 5%. Like, let's learn a little bit to make our democracy a little bit better. Yeah, so it's, it's highly politicized, right? If, if you're talking to somebody on the right, voter fraud is falling out of the trees. I mean, it's everywhere, right? No vote is real. If you talk to people on the left, you can look around uh, under every you know nook and cranny, under every rock, and you're never going to find any voter fraud. Somewhere in between the, both of those is where the truth lies. I am, as you know, in our conversations, I'm the first to concede it's impossible for us to eliminate our biases altogether. I, too, am going to, as I always do, try to eliminate the bias to the extent that I can and focus on taking an objective view of this. What I think is most important in this is sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug, right? Maybe your guy won, maybe your guy lost. If your guy won this time, he may lose next time, right? And so the conversations and the roles as politics typically, you know, as it happens, all of a sudden we're going to find ourselves on opposite sides of things all over again. Those who said fraud was everywhere are going to say there was no fraud. Those who said there was no fraud are going to say fraud was everywhere. This is a conversation that truly does benefit all of us, right? Locking down the vote, securing things to the extent that we can, understanding what's going on, where the risks are, is a benefit that both sides will benefit from. I mean, truly authentic, objective people who are looking for accurate information, they're, they're going to find a benefit out of the discussion, hopefully. And so, you know, I, like I said, I appreciate the fact that we're doing this as we've beaten that horse half to death. Right out of the gates, I think uh, it's important for people to know there are really two primary methods of voting, in person and in the mail, absentee ballots. Between those two methods, there are vulnerabilities that exist. Again, at a high level, you have human error, right? For example, miscounting. You have technological error that can take place if you're using technology either to vote and or to count the votes. That could be a software deficiency. It could be a, an outage of some kind that somehow impacts the system. And then you have fraud. Those in a general sense are going to be your three uh, vulnerabilities that could impact the outcome of the election. That doesn't mean that if those things exist, the election has been impacted in a way that it otherwise wouldn't have landed. doesn't necessarily mean it changed what would have been just because those things might exist. 
just right now from a general sense that to examine voter fraud or to say that there is voter fraud, it doesn't necessarily follow what the current administration is claiming is that they won. What it is saying is that there is voter fraud, but if it, that it, there have been cases of fraud, but it's not to the extent that would have changed the outcome. That doesn't mean that it's okay. This reminds me of Deflategate. Do you remember Brady Balls, the whole Brady oh, Balls? Oh, don't get me like, started on that. Yeah, so the whole thing, <laughs> this kind of reminds me of that, is that one of the arguments was that, yeah, you're not supposed to do that, but it would not have changed the outcome of the game. And some people are saying, but it's the principle of the matter. Is this like Deflategate? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fascinating analogy. I, I, I would I have, have to never. Admit, I was not, I was because not I, because I loved the the whole just <laughs> say, having to talk about Brady balls, like, and just talking about the ethics of his balls was just, it was just so well, much fun. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop talking about Tom Brady's balls for a second here, and I'm just gonna ask you a question. So, 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 Gwen, let me ask you a question: Are you a Tom Brady or a Patriots fan? That might lead into the answer to: Is this like the flake? I am a more of a Kantian. And so <laughs> that means that the answer is no. I don't I don't enjoy football. It's like, hey, let's, you know, run and jump on each other until we get to one side and then we'll do it again and go to the other side, all while wearing tights. <laughs> so I'm not a fan of football. <laughs> but I think that the principle of the matter was the the issue. I think that it is probably entirely true if you're a utilitarian that you could say that it it wasn't wrong because it didn't change the outcome, but I don't think that that is relevant. And I'm thinking that maybe the, the parallel I'm thinking of here is that it might be with the fraud issue, is that just because it may not have changed the outcome of the election and it looks like it would not have, that does not mean that we need to dismiss the principle of the matter is that if there is fraud, that it needs to be addressed. I agree completely. And that's one of the main reasons why we are having this show. It is, I mean, look, was there fraud in the election? Of course there was, because there's fraud in every election. Like that's just, that's just the way it is. And Jeff will touch upon that. You also touch upon the fact that, you know, we're one of the only countries that does stuff by absentee ballots because that's a little bit more prone to fraud. That said, did it affect the outcome of the election? Nobody really thinks so, but we still need to have a conversation. And I do fear that not enough people are having this conversation, but it's as if we didn't beat the dead horse enough. The dead horse has now been nuclear bombed. This is the reason why we're having this conversation. So sorry, Jeff, go on. No, no, no problem. What I'll say to answer the question about whether or not, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not making a position or taking a position on the extent of the fraud in this election. The reason I'm not taking a, a position is I don't have enough firsthand knowledge of all of the different events that have taken place to have an opinion. What we can do is talk about what an investigation might look like, the amount of time that might take. To be completely candid, I think it it is entirely premature for law enforcement to be able to have a definitive answer to that. So I'm not saying that the election was impacted. I'm not saying it wasn't impacted. I'm giving some background and some historical context to give an idea of kind of a view on that. The answer to your question, Gwen, this guy's been listening to too many philosophy podcasts, is no, it's not like the flake gate because this could have, this could have had a, an impact. We just don't know. There isn't enough information yet. Correct, Jeff? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's essentially what I'm saying. <laughs> Whatever, Jeff. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not saying it did. I'm saying, (laughs) I think once we go through this a little bit more and I give you a little bit more of an understanding of from a law enforcement, so there are a lot of elements to it. There's a civil (laughs) component to it. There's a criminal side of it. 
And the criminal side is entirely different than the civil side, right? So, uh, for example, if during this election, we saw video of, uh, you know, cardboard being put up to block windows to, view, to, to block the view from a, putting observers in a kind of a caged area where they're looking with binoculars, maybe that was dramatic or not, I don't know. Maybe they could see, maybe they couldn't. My point is, those by themselves are what we would call red flags, right? I mean, it's a, anything to obstruct the transparency of the election process or the counting process would be a red flag. Am I saying that what's happening elsewhere is fraud? No. What I'm saying is those would be sufficient to at least have the discussion of whether or not there's a civil litigation that is possible. Can they bring this to, through the civil channels and try to influence a judge to take steps to halt or uh, recount or whatever the case may be? The criminal side of it is a much longer process, okay? So let me first give a little historical context, okay? So, so by way of background, again, just to remind you all, uh, public corruption is primarily my background. I was the acting chief in the, the FBI's public corruption unit. Public corruption program is responsible for election crimes within the FBI at the federal level. So when we investigate, it's public corruption that's doing it, all right? So I've got some firsthand context. Leading up to this election, President Trump is saying, fraud's coming. We're all going to be victimized by it. And the opposition, his opposition was saying, you're out of your mind. There's no historical evidence to support that. What I'm saying is they're not wrong to say there isn't a lot of historical context. There isn't a lot of historical evidence. There's historical evidence. I mean, going back the last 20, 30 years, I think Heritage Foundation came out. There were about a thousand examples of voter fraud in various levels. Oh, collectively, would any one of them influence the outcome of the election? Uh, likely no, right? I mean, and in the broad spectrum of elections, is it a lot? Probably not considered a lot. From an FBI perspective, what I can tell you is this, that we don't really work it as aggressively as we work everything else. And there's a reason for that. It's not a reason that people on the right like to hear. In fact, anytime I bring it up, it, it really upsets people. And I understand that. So the state is responsible for establishing the election procedures hiring the, the election officials, establishing the guidelines and the processes for the absentee ballots and the use of absentee ballots, as well as enforcement. The FBI comes in only when there's a federal nexus, a federal jurisdiction that allows us to come in. That is easiest to obtain when there's a federal official on the ballot. So if there's one federal candidate running, then that gives us jurisdiction. There are other ways to get jurisdiction, like non-U.S. citizens voting. We can get into the election that way. Elected officials taking certain action, if they're using force to force somebody to vote a certain way, right? That's under the color of law. We can, from like a civil rights perspective, come in. So most often it's a federal election with a, a single federal candidate. Now, DOJ, typically the Department of Justice during an election would not allow the FBI to take overt investigative steps until the election has been certified. So if on Tuesday election is occurring, on Tuesday, November 3rd, we're getting a phone call or phone calls alleging fraud. Until the votes have been certified, we can't take overt law enforcement action, okay? That is a long period of time uh, where evidence gets lost, information gets misconstrued, gets uh, ballots get moved around, so forth and so on, right? It's a long period of time, memories get foggy. Now let's consider five days after the election, five weeks or five months after the election, the FBI has pursued an investigation. And five months after a new president has been put into office, the FBI or DOJ announces an, an indictment into 20 officials or 20 individuals who are involved in a widespread conspiracy to manipulate the outcome of a vote. Uprising. 
you've got a sitting president who may or may not have been put in place based on votes that may or may not have been authentic, right? But that problem has just begun because maybe that indictment wasn't sealed. They've announced it. Well, now you have hearings and you have motions and you have discovery and so forth and so on. So maybe you're not even at trial for another year. So now you are a whole year where the entire country is questioning the integrity of one of our most sacred acts, and that's the vote. Look at the last year alone, the amount of rioting and protests and this and that that has gone on. Now imagine for a second, for five minutes, what it would look like in this country if for an entire year, half the country questioned the legitimacy of the president of the United States, the, the chaos. Now you get a full year, you're finally at trial. Great, we're at trial now. We're gonna to get to the bottom of it. What if DOJ loses? Rudy, you, you, you know firsthand what it's like to go through trial. Losing is possible. Now, rewind it a year and a half. Do you think DOJ wants to go down that path of completely potentially disrupting the voting process in a way that is completely new and foreign to our country and potentially jeopardize everyone's faith in the system itself? The answer that I'm going to hear from the right is, well, when you tell me that, I'm questioning the fa- I don't have faith in the system as it is. I hear you. Six, one, half dozen, the other. You can, we can have the discussion about whether or not it's right. I'm not saying it's right, it's wrong. I'm saying this is the calculation. DOJ does not want the FBI or its own organization to influence the outcome of an election or to undermine the integrity of the election. So what does that mean? That means we're not super aggressive in our voter fraud investigations because the outcome could be problematic, right? Makes- so when somebody yeah. says we don't have a lot of historical evidence, my answer to that is, yeah, but. I hear you. And that's totally fair. What I was going to ask was, um, how much of an element, Jeff, do you think uh, elections seem to be getting, at least electoral college-wise, seem to be getting closer and closer to, you look at look at the election of 2000, look at 2016, look at 2020. It seems like just going forward as a country, just how divided we are, red versus blue, that these razor-thin margins, if you will, are probably just going to be the norm on a going forward basis. So do you think that there may be historically might have been like, ah, oh, well, we, we don't want to pursue this. It could cause chaos or, you know, at the end of the day, there were so many votes for the other side that even if there were a couple of fraudulent votes, it really doesn't matter. Do you think that now that the, the direction that our country is going in, that there will be more of a focus on this topic? Or do you think that people will, this, this will just be swept under the rug and forgotten what are you hearing and what are you seeing uh, just from your experience? I, the answer is I don't know. I mean, information flows so fast. What people get worked up about is fleeting and comes and goes pretty quick. Uh, do I think that voter integrity is important enough of an issue for us to continue to have the discussion? Yes. Is it important enough for us to take Whatever steps necessary to ensure that we're being as secure as possible with it, yes, I do, I do think that. And I also think that until the, the right gets their guy in, they're going to be upset about this election and say that it was stolen. Not, candidly, not dissimilar to the left over, you know, Russia's influence, right? I mean, what a difference four years makes. So we're, we're always going to find something to get upset about. Mm-hmm. So those who are in a position to do something about it, I think should care about whether or not sufficient fraud exists to overturn an election versus just can we do it better? Maybe we should. Well, Jeff, what do you think about, I'm wondering if this would answer your question, Rudy, or add something to it, that we're seeing some of that play out in Georgia and that you have this problem of saying that the voting is fraudulent and rigged and problematic, but at the same time, we need for you to go out and vote. 
So yeah. I'm wondering now, of course, what, what do you think about that, Jeff? I mean, what do that seems to be it playing out where you have a problem where it's just that we want to say two things. It's fraudulent, but please, we still need for you to go out and vote. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're seeing is that, I mean, that's politics for you. And it's also, there's, there's not much that anyone can do about any of it right now. If it's fraudulent, I mean, certainly you're, you're not going to win the lottery if you don't play it. What are some myths? Like, is there anything, can you tell me when you are watching the news or reading the news, what is it that you hear is just not true? I mean, I'm wondering, you know, is there something like, let's just say the claim that people brought in suitcases full of ballots and just slipped it under the table and added it. When you hear that, do you hear, or have you heard that and true or untrue? Can we just, does it sound true? Does it sound untrue? I think the problem, so in a general sense, I'm of the camp where anything's possible. But I also know that the states do, for the most part, a pretty good job of taking care of their elections. Mm -hmm. It's such a challenge for me to have an opinion. I know that's not what you want. It's hard for me to have an opinion one way or the other uh, because I'm not on the ground there. I I, I can't say even that the, the video I'm watching is real. We have thousands of people in this country that will rape, kill, molest, child porn. I mean, you name it, the horrors of this country. There are people all around who are willing to do some pretty horrific things. So do I think that somehow voter fraud is below us? Like we wouldn't do that. We don't have people low enough to, to go do that kind of thing. No, I don't. Bl- I think there are people who are willing to do it. If the states in each of the states are responsible, yeah, you're talking about pretty concerted effort to sideswipe and sidestep certain things. I have faith in the in the process. I have faith in the system, but I, I can't begin to opine on each particular voter location and say, yeah, yeah, this is not possible or it is. I'm just wondering if we just stand back and just take a look at the overall thing. So I mean, just for example, um, people are saying somebody goes in and votes once, or I'm sorry, that's what you're supposed to do, vote once. Um, Goes in and votes five times. That's how it's supposed to work. Yeah, somebody goes in. So let's just say I were to get a ballot of somebody who had lived here a while ago, and I'm like, hmm, you know what? I'll go ahead and fill this out and have it for my guy or woman. Yeah, does that happen? Absolutely. But what is the... Okay. So you're saying, does that happen? Absolutely. But there's a part of me that's thinking that is jail time, correct? Like, what is it? How could somebody be that invested in the politician? Are we putting a bit more faith in people? Okay. Rudy just made a face. That was, that was a face. Oh, oh yeah. Because I, because <laughs> right, I, so I, I will I, be quiet. Rudy, you I, go right ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I he knows where I didn't even because I, I know where <laughs> Jeff's gonna go. Oh boy, did you set that per question up beautifully, Gwen? Thank you for that. You just oh, took, you just welcome, took the onus. You just okay. took the onus off of me for Jeff to just go ahead and have this I, wonderful I think, explanation. All right, to I, because your I'm having a hard time believing that the average person would be invested in that much to go ahead and risk jail time to be like, I just really want so-and-so to be in. I don't have enough faith that people care about politics that much. Okay, so I have apparently set this up. Oh yeah, you set up a- <laughs> Rudy we're, is clearly we're excited. Gonna talk, we're gonna talk philosophy. We're gonna talk time travel. We're gonna talk a okay. whole bunch of cool- Thank you for doing that. Jeff, <laughs> well, please, you well, go first. Okay, yeah, no, yeah, I'll get to what you're expecting me to get to in a second, Rudy. One of the things I just wanna point out, like if you go to the state of Texas Attorney General website, they do actually, 
have a pretty good, robust, at least it seems, election fraud effort that they put forth. So just as an example, you know, uh, I think on the website, this is a government, state government website in June of 2019, they identified 95,000 non-U.S. citizens who were registered to vote and identified 58,000 of them who voted in, more, in at least one election. So these are people who are legally not supposed to be voting. Just one example, but you know, if you look at the election between JFK and Nixon, I mean, you're talking about a handful of, no of votes were the difference in that election. And that was riddled with allegations of voter fraud as well. Mayor Daley of Chicago was accused of stuffing the ballots, the mafia. Then what did JFK do? Interesting tidbit here. What, who does JFK appoint the Attorney General of the United States when he gets into office? His brother. <laughs> And we all look around today, 60 years later, we're looking around today saying, I can't believe the attorney general has political leanings. Well, I mean, come on, the guy who put it his brother right after being accused of fraudulently winning the election. So some of this stuff is just going to persist and it's going to continue. But to answer your question, do people care about this stuff? I think that's a valid question. And, you know, I mean, if you look at it from the Facebook or Twitter standpoint, or you look at the mainstream media, boy, it's... I know there are families that have been broken up over who they like, right? I mean, we hear about that all the time, mm -hmm. but you, you're going to be able to correct me on this. I think there's a philosophical question, right? If you knew who Hitler was going to become before he got into power, would you kill him? There's a philosophical question of, is it okay to kill Hitler before he gets into power? Which is also one of the premises of the great <clears throat> Stephen King novel, The Dead Zone. This exact philosophical question was raised in The Dead Zone. So sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, no, no problem. I'm, I'm uh, theorizing, opining. I, my assumption is that the vast majority, a lot of people would say, hell yeah, I'd kill him before he got into power, knowing what he was capable of. I don't know if how the percentages of breakdown. But I think that's a reasonable conclusion that many would come to. For my philosophy students, I would not. Is, that would be, no, 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 that's in it. That's the, you're expressing a hard determinism. That would be the theory. So right. the presupposition is that the outcome could not have been any different. But then there's also that question of if you had changed the cause, some causal factors, would Hitler be Hitler? And so therefore it would be right. unjust to kill him at a young age. Those exactly. are the philosophical arguments. Okay, but go it's on. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So, so uh, we have that philosophical question, right? And now you look back at the last four years, and the left has compared Trump, candidly, in many cases, to Hitler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fascism. I mean, how many times have we heard the word fascist and fascism and the right's bunch of fascists? That's no small word. The implications and the meaning behind that are significant. Devil incarnate. Uh, he's a murderer. He's a, a, a killer of all these uh, foreign immigrants that are trying to come in for a better life. He's this horrible person, right? They haven't just laid the groundwork to justify cheating. They've laid the groundwork to justify, uh, and I'm not saying this obviously, but to kill him, right? To, to at least have that discussion. If he is Hitler-esque, if he is fascist, if he is this great murderer, and they spent four years laying that groundwork, cheating, if able, would be inconsequential to the conscience. I see, I see, okay. It would, in fact, I would go so far as to say, if you believe he's Hitler, if you believe he's a fascist, if you believe he's this horrific murderer and you didn't cheat, shame on you. Because that's the least you can do <laughs> if he is those things. Yeah. So my point is, you can't lay that groundwork and then walk away and say, we're good, nobody cheated. I mean, you know what's interesting to me, Jeff, is that hearing you say this, I'm also, because I do... I am more left-leaning and I get more left media. Something you said is just really reminding me is that the whole QAnon thing, right? That you also have a group of people who think that he is the savior 
for yep. uh, child sex trafficking. So some people think that yep. he's this, you know, there's also been this, this reason to vote for him. Um, and for them to cheat. I'm not, yeah. not going to say that. I'm, uh, there's incentive on both sides. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but you're right. He's been painted into this figure that is beyond, um, yeah, that is absolutely. beyond what, what is, I think he's, I just think he's dumb. A bit, but we'll but just leave it at that. We're, I thought we're not supposed to get political. I, the, the, the point of this I think, hey, I think that's an objective thing. Anybody who says <laughs> very ambiguously and doesn't know how to comb their hair is dumb. Okay, all right, go on, I, go on. No, no. It, I, I'm very self-conscious way, about my hair all of a sudden. The, uh, the, the point of this conversation is try to have an objective discussion of voter fraud. Just because, you know, the current incumbent has hijacked that narrative doesn't mean that there wasn't voter fraud on the other side against, you know, Biden-Harris as well. We're trying to be as objective as humanly possible. You know, there's plenty of red states that, you know, were close that very well could have been voter fraud done against a Biden-Harris ticket. We're trying to focus on what is voter fraud? How can we make it better? How can, what are some of the steps that can be taken, objective, easy steps that can be taken so that maybe perhaps in the future, there'll be a little less voter fraud. But we're, we're, we're definitely not saying there was only voter fraud and it was against the president here. Right. And I, and I will also say there's plenty of people out there that think that, you know, Biden is like a Hitler or like, or the Democrats are evil and, and all Democrats should die. It's not, it's not just, not just. Well, Trump that's the QAnon saying. thing too. Well, it is. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's to your point. But I would, uh, so for people listening, when they do vote, how can they feel secure and good about their vote? What is the best way to vote? Oh, don't even great sigh. Question. Whatever. Such a great totally no, sigh. Was, what is it? No, because it's a great I, it is a good question. It's a, it is a great Thank question. You. The problem is I don't have a great answer. That's what the sigh was. I just don't care that much about politics <laughs> to get all worked up with it one way or the other. I look at this from an academic perspective. I look at it from a law enforcement perspective. I think absentee ballots open a door to fraud that we could close a little bit, mm -hmm. right? But I voted by absentee ballot. And I don't, listen, I worked on the Hill. I've been around these guys. I've been around uh, the speaker, you know, I was on the speaker's security detail for a couple of years. I've been at the highest, with the highest levels of government that fly on the wall. I've heard the conversations from all these people that are worshipped on the left and the right. I've seen them for what they are. And I've listened when they don't know I'm listening when I was with the FBI, legally, of course. My point is, boy, it's hard for me to even to make the effort. I do what I do mostly for the, the local and state issues and taxes and, and uh, you know, the local issues. So what's the best way to do it? Uh, is Does that in depend on in what terms, state you're in? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the absentee ballot from a fraud analysis perspective. It's a, an easy calculation for me because it is going to be the most right for fraud. Of the options, of the two options, that's going to have the most avenues or the, the most ambiguity to it. And I'm going to, this brings up an interesting point because leading up to the election, President Trump says absentee ballots are riddled with fraud. We're going to just go totally get exposed. It's going to be horrible or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The left says there's no evidence, absentee ballots. There's no historical evidence to suggest it's a problem. There's no problem, no issues, right? Even on Twitter, I tweet something out every once in a while. And if I do anything related to absentee ballots, I'll get this little message up there that says, you know, they're conflicting views on this, right? So Twitter's telling me that when I'm writing something about from the government's perspective, as a former government employee, that I'm somehow, you know, the USA Today is, is in a better position to tell me what fraud potential exists than DOJ's election branch, which is responsible for investigating that. And one of the things I was going through in old 
election branch book. This is a DOJ book. And I was going through it uh, just prepping. And one of the things that I came to is on page 31, <laughs> absentee ballots are particularly susceptible to fraudulent abuse because by definition, they are marked and cast outside the presence of election officials and the structured environment of a polling place. I'm not saying absentee ballots resulted in massive fraud. What I'm saying is the government's position, at least when this book was written, was that absentee ballots, and this is the investigative element, this is not some administrative arm. The, the investigative element said absentee ballots were particularly susceptible to fraud. And it's logically true. Uh, senior citizen centers, they may get 200 absentee ballots. We, you know, we don't know who's sending those back. We don't know who's forcing grandma to, to write down who she's supposed to write down or is she writing down who she really wants to vote for. There is pressure that can be put on people and or can be stolen that you're not going to experience if you walk in and, on election day and vote in person. So it, logically, reasonably, that is going to be more susceptible to fraud potential, in my opinion. I wonder if just having, let's just say, election day, a holiday or voting day, a holiday or have it over, you know, a week so that more people could go in person if that wouldn't alleviate some of this concern because mailing in is something that I do because I would normally be working all day and the last thing I wanted to do in the evening in November when it's, you know, when it's dark at five. It's 70 degrees um, in California. It's <laughs> I just, I know. Um, but the last thing I would feel like doing is on my way from a day of work is going to vote. So I always liked the mail-in option, which I have yeah. in California. And I got used to it because I lived abroad. And so I was able to always mail in my stuff. But if that is a potential fraudulent issue, then why don't we just open it up for longer or make it a holiday? I'm all in favor. I think the voting day should be a holiday. I think we should try to make it as simple as possible for people to vote. That doesn't mean at the expense of, right? So I think making yeah. it a holiday is a, a great idea. Uh, you know, I, I do want to also, I did some research on voting trends in, the Euro, in Europe, European Union, just to kind of get a sense of who's using absentee ballots, who isn't, who's using ID cards, who isn't, right? Because that's a big, and we can get to that. In a, that's a sore subject for people. Looking at, just did a, a quick snapshot. This is from Newsweek. Crime Prevention Research Center, 27 countries in the European Union, 63% ban mail-in voting unless living abroad, 63%. So when we're having this discussion leading up to the election, and you've got an entire group of people saying, there's no way, this is ridiculous. Well, 63% of the European Union says they've looked at it and don't feel comfortable with it. Maybe it's not as ridiculous a position as, as has been portrayed, right? Let's see. 22% ban mail-in ballots altogether, even for people living abroad of the European Union. Of the other 16 European countries, 63% don't allow mail-in ballots, even for citizens living outside the country. So 63% of the remaining 16 countries don't allow. So that's a big chunk of Europe that doesn't even allow absentee ballots. And then another portion of that don't allow it for overseas folks. France banned it in 1975. They lifted it a little bit this year because of COVID, but uh, particularly to accommodate those who are vulnerable. To, I wonder to if COVID. in France, are you obliged? Do you know if you're obliged to vote in France? I know in Belgium you're, you're obliged. It's, I wonder, uh, you're wait, fine I if, if you don't. I know, yes. I know in Belgium, but I don't know if it's France. It was so, either know, France, I think you could be right. I'd have to, I, one of these, it may be the case. They still only get like 90% of the vote. They're like, mm -hmm. forget it, you can find me. The idea issue, it's a sore topic. And I've been thinking about the logic of some of the issues. And I'm wondering, I don't know, maybe Rudy, you can 
do this. I'm wondering if one of the issues is that voting is a right, but getting an ID, like let's say a driver's license or whatnot, is not. And so that might be part of the problem. I'm wondering, because some states are saying, well, you have to have this particular type of ID. So does the government have the right to oblige somebody to have an ID that is not a right in order to exercise a right? Because I've been trying to think, because it seems like I'm with you. It seems like it makes sense to show some evidence that you are who you are, who is voting. I don't really know how that got to be so out of control. But then when I started thinking about it, it's like, well, maybe it depends on what idea are you allowed to use that's acceptable as opposed to, or maybe the payment or the access to the ID. If you have to go to the trouble of paying for an ID in order to do something that is a right, is that in and of itself an issue? And just historically, and I'm, and I'm not an expert at this, but I do know that there's some kind of historical context that I think is a part of the Federal Voting Rights Act that came into play in the 1960s. Having an ID or taking literacy tests were used to sequester you know, African-American vote um, in the Jim Crow era. So the stain of the ID okay. comes from voter suppression of African-Americans historically. And so that's why whenever you talk about voter IDs, you have to have an appreciation of the historical context context of it. Fast forward to 2020, 2022, 2021. It's very interesting because, you know, you have real ID these days. You know, the, the federal government has, has um, upped its game as to what identification you're allowed to fly around with. And that's a, a very, it's a real pain in the butt to get. And you have to show not only, uh, you know, a birth certificate and a passport. Yeah, I think, I think you also have to show, you know, proof of residence by showing a bill. And it, it's very difficult. Now, I'm not saying that the real ID is what people are saying they want to require. That level of certainty of who you are in order to vote. But to your point, Gwen, yeah, I mean, getting an ID is actually not that easy. Yet, if we're Americans, once you're born here, you have the right to vote. So your argument is a good one. I'm curious to hear Jeff's thoughts on that. I mean, it's an excellent point. I am. Uh, Thank you. Sir, great question. Great point. <laughs> great questions throughout. Great points throughout. Um, <laughs> no, I, I. You know, I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I can give you my perspective or my thoughts on it. I mean, you know, you have the right to bear arms, but you're still going to buy the gun. Does that make sense that you should have to buy a gun if I have the right to bear arms? I don't know. I'm sure there's something I'm missing in that calculation that a constitutional lawyer would correct me on. I don't think, and to Rudy's point, I mean, obviously, any kind of racial animus, any kind of racial historical perspective that we should consider needs to be sensitively considered. That doesn't mean that that determines the outcome. Wait, I don't know if that works though, which Jeff, I want to cut you off. I'm trying now. Yeah, no, please. I'm trying to think about that parallel. Okay, the the right to bear arms, but I don't know. I'm not saying it's no, a good one. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. I'm not sure. If, okay, so let me let me put. You it just this stepped way. it, dude. You just I know. Stepped it. Yeah, I know. You I just, you, the law enforcement. You better Damn put the drink it. down. You just stepped it. A, <laughs> no, 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 no. There's no Damn there's no stepping in it. I, I I don't think the parallel works because you had me thinking about that for a second. But the um, but 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 I will back up. I wonder if it would be a different conversation if IDs were. You know, like if kind of like when you're born and you get a social security number, if an ID was somehow similar 
if that would change the equation. Because if an ID were that easy, I think I've taken it for granted how easy it is to get an ID. But I, right. it does, hasn't occurred to me if I was disenfranchised or in a different area of the United States that that's not as simple. So what if an ID were something like your social security number? Then I think it would be kind of bizarre if somebody's like, no, I don't want to show ID when I vote. And I'd be like, um, right. okay, that's suspicious. Everybody has one. It's okay. Yeah. But and maybe- I, I, I- that. I, and I think you're, I'm, I'm sure you're right, because the, the simplicity of my argument would have been used a uh, hundred times if it had any validity to it. <laughs> so I, I concede the fact that it probably is and doesn't work. I, I guess the only point I'm making, and I think you're making a valid point, I don't know what percentage of people in the country actually don't have ID, but I guarantee it's a lot smaller than it was 50 years ago, 60 mm-hmm. years ago, right? I mean, it's going to be a smaller percentage. I think if we put if there's, um, you know, we walk around, make sure people are registered to vote. Maybe we can walk around and we can drive people to the voting location. Why can't we walk around, make sure people are getting their ID and driving to go get their ID? And I feel like there's a, something that's available that would allow us to ensure that those who want their ID can get their ID. It's important enough of an issue. How much energy has been expended talking about something that if maybe we took a few steps, you're never going to eliminate it altogether, but let's try to alleviate some of it. And voter integrity is kind of an important enough issue. Mexico, for example, right? So if we have the discussion today about IDs, it's not just the African-American community, it's minority groups in general that are referenced as adversely impacted by this. In Mexico, uh, they've, I think, since 1991, have been required to show ID and have banned absentee ballots since 1991. I think they lifted in 2006. They started allowing absentee ballots for people living overseas or internationally, but they still have to give them like a six month notice. It's not something that could happen fast. My point is there are countries that are doing this. I get the history. I'm open and okay and, and think it appropriate to show appropriate sensitivities and understanding of what that history might be. But I don't think that that necessarily needs to determine the future steps that we take. Mm-hmm. If there is an appropriate way, even if implicitly, even if it's in the terms of perception. Now, we obviously know coming with an ID, there is a real benefit to that. You can see you have a benefit, right? It's not just perception. But when, it, when you have government systems that are so reliant on voters maintaining confidence in that system, having confidence in that system, whether it's the law enforcement community, voting, you need to take steps to control that perception as well, because a bad perception is as, is as bad as actual illegitimacy, right? It's like corruption. We've talked about this. The, the perception of corruption is just as, could be just as bad as corruption itself. It's not different here. This is the same thing. That's why states taking a, being tra- as transparent as possible, states taking steps to put in controls, uh, advertising their process, right? Letting people know this is what we're doing. Having a plan for observers, not allowing a, a busted pipe or a spilled toilet to stop counting. Because, you know, I, I taught this stuff overseas to international communities. One of the red flags is when the, the count stops. Man, you can't let that count stop. I don't care if you've got a good reason for it. There was a USA Today article to say that the right was wrong, that the, the votes didn't stop for no reason. Well, okay, but if it stops, that becomes a problem, right? If they give the appearance of a lack of transparency, that's a problem. They need to understand, each state needs to understand that these are concerns and proper steps should be taken because today it's the right that's complaining, tomorrow it's going to be the left. And why not just come together and, and find the best way to ensure transparency, accountability, redundancies. For the most part, I think the states do a really good job. I'm not going to opine on potential bad actors because I just don't know. They're going to have a better view of how to beat the system than I am. 
and every system can be beat, right? Every single system can be beat. Visa is going to tell you nobody's going to get your account information. And then tomorrow they're going to get breached and they're going to lose a million and a half, you know, information for a million and a half customers. Mm -hmm. They're never going to tell us it's flawed. So let's, you know, take the steps that we can to give people the confidence to head this stuff off. Mm -hmm. and it, it, that's my, okay. I don't know, my opinion. So um, would you have uh, Rudy Giuliani be your spokesperson? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was, that was Rudy Giuliani, not Rudy Sallow. No, 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 Rudy Sallow. Oh, Mr. Sallow is the yes. best. Yeah, Thank Rudy you. Giuliani, any, any day of the week. Rudy Sallow, no way. Right, that's the, <laughs> that was the answer. That was the expected answer. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, listen, I, nothing irritates me more as a former law enforcement guy than pulling up Twitter and looking at former law enforcement. So that's going to include investigators and prosecutors getting into politics. I hate it. I despise it. Mm -hmm. It's such a. I mean, I see it all the time. And in fact, one of the trends I'm seeing lately is you've got these hardcore political types who are former prosecutors and law enforcement who use words like justice because that's what they know people want to hear, but are so political, right? They they're, they're use this language to manipulate their audience uh, into thinking that they're objective. When the truth is, if you look at their, we'll call it their timeline, it, you know, justice only counts when it's my, my opponent that I'm going after. So it's a dramatic way of responding to your Giuliani thing. <laughs> I don't like, maybe because I loved it so much and because we were, we're required to be objective and politics is so subjective and so much a game mm -hmm. that it, it, it irritates me as much as it does. But I, uh, there a handful of folks that I have a lot of respect for, and it's usually the ones that you know are able to remain constant in their hierarchy of truth above other things, politics. Yeah. So, so to interpret what he was saying, because you two, you you seem to be infecting him with the lack of answers here. The answer is no. He would not have Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> there you go. That's the answer. There you go. That's what I do. I went all stuff down. Yeah. Yeah. That was the yes or no question. <laughs> would he be your front man for fighting fraud? No. We should we we should do this more often. You two should you should have you should have questions answered by people who want to dance around stuff and then i just kind of <laughs> it, and i'm like here's the answer like you know like, it's, like, it's very uh. very, 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 i'm like really hey figuring guys. out my role here I'm, I'm, the, I'm the black and white guy on, on a philosophy <laughs> podcast how about that okay Rudy, did you have any more questions i do not jeff always a pleasure really feel very educated not just from this podcast but in the preparations for this podcast and speaking to you i really hope our listeners are better educated you, you got some exciting things coming coming forward um you know Ooh, i'm excited for they, 2020 wait, we're what not talking we're not talking about anything but you know oh, 2021 okay. is going to be a very <laughs> very very in interesting year do we and, get to you know, in 2021 then do we get to when that whatever it is this mysterious exciting thing for jeff is he going to come back on the show to talk about it jeff absolutely this is okay. my favorite show yeah, all right my, you know it yay <laughs> <laughs> all right well jeff thank you so much for joining the pod again thank you for having me i think i would be remiss if i did not i want to be clear rudy giuliani did a lot for new york <laughs> when, when, when he was in his his law enforcement uh, cut capacity. this part off cut this part <laughs> off this part is no. I mean, even I, I, I will no. To, to, no, to, I mean, I, 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 let me I no, no, on that. you, you are. He was America's I, mayor, right? Isn't that? Yeah, what? I, I mean, I he, have, he did a great job in that capacity. Yeah. Politics does some really bad things to people. Yeah, left, right, every which way. But I don't want to 
take away from the great things he did for New York because he did do a great job as, as the mayor there. And even as a U.S. attorney is more of what I was referring to against the mob in New York. Yeah, totally so he fair. Was, he was a big player there. So I guess the goal is to hit our prime later in life and not... No? All right, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, I don't know. Way, I don't know I'm, what the takeaway is. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Go thank golf. You, so you should have gone golfing. <laughs> thank you so much, Jeff. And hey, Thank you so much. Christmas. I love this. Yeah, you as well. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions about this episode or any other episode, don't hesitate to reach out. Good is in the details pod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to become a patron of the show and support the show, we're on patreon.com slash good is in the details. Now I've linked Jeff's information to the episode notes and also the Patreon page. So I hope you're still wearing your masks, socially distancing, and until next time, bye. Um, I feel like I need to get a drink because it looks like Jeff is drinking. I am. I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I'm going to get, all right. I've got some, I've got I, some, I, I I've got some canned wine. All right, wait, I've got some cheap canned wine. I'm going to go get some of that and I'll be right. I do back. have, I do have bottles of wine down here, but I think they're too expensive. That's too bougie. Oh my God, Rudy, whatever. <laughs> I'm serious. These, these are the ones I'm not allowed to touch. Kate has told me. <laughs> <laughs>